Welcome to the Learning Project Network, where we learn through stories to make a change. The Learning Project Network, an organization dedicated to social justice issues. We are dedicated to learning about issues that impact children, families, and communities to help start conversations that lead to solutions. We believe that through storytelling and peer support, individuals can better understand how experiences lead to outcomes. Hey everybody, it's Stephanie with The Learning Project. You guys, welcome back. I'm so happy to see y'all. I don't know if you're watching the video or if you're listening just through our podcast, maybe on Spotify, but I'm telling you, I'm so excited about today. We're extending our next session, um, health disparities that are impacting the Black community. I have the amazing Lisa Gardner with us. Welcome to The Learning Project. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Oh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for sharing your sacred story with us. You know, um, so many times I tell people you learn a lot through people's stories and people can be very hesitant to share it because they're not sure how people are going to receive it or understand their experience. But I want to thank you for letting us into your world and helping us to learn more about sickle cell anemia. We are going to be continuing this conversation, you guys. If you have not listened to our first podcast that we just released um, with Kaylee, please go back and listen to it. You will learn so much from that podcast. And we wanted to extend this because this is a um, really serious thing that's impacting the Black community. And we are not understanding it um, as a whole and how we can really support individuals and look at um, look at health disparities in a very different way. So Lisa, thank you so much for coming by and sharing your story with us today. Absolutely, absolutely. So why don't we dive into it? Tell us a little bit about who you are and um, where did your your journey begin with uh, sickle cell anemia? So um, my name is Lisa Gardner. My first name is Melicia and I go by Lisa. And I'm from Spokane, Washington, born and raised, uh, went through the whole school system, um, was very uh, much raised in a very tight knit uh, black community on the east side of Spokane. So always was fulfilled as far as my um, ethnicity and my race, you know, as far as just that um, community. Yeah, that um, but yeah. yeah, that community and have the culture. When I, the only time I know, of course, notice my difference is when I would go to school. And although I would probably be the only black child, I wasn't the only brown child. So mm. there were always Native American or mm. uh, Filipino, Vietnamese, um, just other, you know, Latino, other brown kids in yeah. school with me so i never felt like there was any type of you know anything growing up all yeah. from elementary to junior high to high school i started to mm -hmm. see it a little bit more now going into high school and then definitely when i got to college yeah um before i went to a hbcu but my sickle cell journey started when i was five years old um i was hospitalized I don't remember why I was hospitalized, but I was in kindergarten and um, I was hospitalized for, uh, I would say probably about five or six days I was in the hospital. And thinking back, they were really trying to make me comfortable. So it was a lot of people in the hospital surrounding my bed. And I'm from a very, my grandmother who raised me, 
very devout Southern Baptist woman. I mean, uh -huh. she pray away everything. <laughs> so <laughs> she was just praying over my, I will always remember her being by my bedside. And I, I literally remember her always being on the right or the left-hand side of my bed and just always praying over me, praying over me, praying over me. And, you know, without revealing my age, but it was before the internet. <laughs> right, right. So when they told my parents that it's because I have sickle cell disease that they discover after the blood test and everything, and that I was having a sickle cell crisis. Wow. They didn't know what it was. You know, my they've heard of sickle cell disease. They've heard of sickle cell anemia. But what did that really mean? Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. and this is the 80s. So they don't know what it means for this child to have sickle cell. Uh -huh. And all they knew was that they needed to rush me to the hospital. I was admitted. I was in pain. Then I wasn't in pain. And then I'm home. Wow. <laughs> you know? And I was always told growing up that I always had to be careful. I couldn't go outside in the cold. I couldn't go swimming. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go do what the other kids did. So wow. I was really kind of isolated in that respect. Um, so I really became a homebody. Um, I would, I would, you know, play video games. I would read. I would watch a lot of movies and television. And I would go outside. I'd ride my bike or I'd ride my bike to the park and watch the other kids play. And I would go to the community center and sit on the stage and at East Central and watch the other girls play or watch the other kids play. Mm -hmm. And it was just known. Everybody knew, like in the community, that's Lisa Gardner. She has sickle cell. So mm -hmm. my friends, my family, my our network, everyone always knew that i had sickle cell yeah so fast forward to now the age of the internet i'm starting to learn a little bit more about what this, this disease is and that it only impacts you know people who have an african um ancestry or background or maybe even mediterranean mm -hmm. um I'm learning little things about myself because I'm like, oh, that's why I did that. Or, oh, that's why this happened. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know, as things progress. Yeah. Um, I moved to Maryland. And when I moved to Maryland, I was um, now in a city that had rich resources of sickle cell clinics, sickle cell doctors, sickle wow. cell nurses. So now I'm just flooded with you know people who already understand people who get it and yeah. in my sorority and in my circle of friends now i'm you know there's two others that have sickle cell it's like oh wow i can talk somebody to somebody it. about yeah. it i don't feel like the foreign person or that one you know hey, she has mm -hmm. like i don't feel like i'm that person anymore i have a network yeah. i have friends i have sorority sisters yeah. who I can share my stories with and we can, you know, support each other. We'll text each other. I'm headed to the hospital. I'm having a crisis and we're there for each other. Yeah. So that is like in a nutshell, my journey. Oh my goodness. So I want to just go back really quick because some of our listeners and viewers may be saying like, what does this really mean? Like a sickle cell crisis? Why is it called a sickle cell crisis? Do you know by chance? So I don't necessarily know why it's called a crisis. It's because they don't happen all the time and they happen sporadically. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're triggered by certain things. For some people it's triggered by stress and mm -hmm. they can have a pain crisis. 
Um, and that pain crisis could look like, and let me go back to describing sickle cell, our blood cells are round. And because they're Correct. round, they carry the oxygen that, you know, to the rest of our body. Mm -hmm. For someone who has sickle cell, it's shaped like a sickle. It's mm -hmm. just a half of that mm -hmm. circle. Mm -hmm. And so when those sickle cells are sickling, mm -hmm. they, they, they don't have enough oxygen, so they're deformed. And so they're looking for other cells to attach to. Mm -hmm. So they end up attaching to themselves and mm -hmm. causing blockage. So it can cause a blockage in your leg, in your joints, in your lungs, in your heart, in your yeah. brain, anywhere. And that's what causes the crisis. So now you're in this excruciating pain crisis of these sickle cells forming together mm -hmm. and they're, they're, they're blocking either a blood flow or they're causing a blood clot. Yeah. It's, it's causing a crisis in your body at that moment. And so it's like, okay, we're in crisis mode. The body's trying to figure out how can we uncrisis this? How do we yeah. get out of this? Yeah. And so you're going through the pain of it all. So that's why it's called the crisis. Man, I, first of all, want to say this, like we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast, but we really didn't dive into it. And I'm so glad that you shared your experience um, as an adolescent. Like, what is it like growing up with sickle cell anemia? And one of the things that um, you and I talked about a little bit and also was echoed on the last podcast, this is an invisible um, disease. And so a lot of times you don't know what a person is experiencing. You don't know how they're feeling, especially if they're really good at like hiding it um, until the point where you realize, oh, they can't hide it and they're really in a lot of pain and you're not really sure what to do. Um, what were some of the things that your family did to help you overcome some of those mental blocks and those mental challenges as a kid? Like when you would go through this and you would possibly like go into a depression or maybe get really frustrated or miss out on something that you really wanted to be a part of, but you can't be a part of it because of your sickle cell anemia. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have that because again, my family didn't know what it meant. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, as an adolescent, was I was unable to explain what my pain felt like. It's not like I could say, oh, my pain feels like blood clots clumping together. What yeah. does that feel like? You know, yeah. and so when you're young, you don't know how to say. And then I never wanted to be burdened, mm -hmm. you know, because then when I got sick, you know, it's like everybody goes into panic mode around yeah. me. Yeah. And I, I, I never wanted to. So to your point, I would mask my pain. I would, I would kind of deal with the pain and kind of get through it and like wrap myself up. And so when I would have pain when I was younger, it would just be triggered by being either extremely cold um, or on overheating. And that would cause me to have excruciating body pains where my whole entire body is throbbing mm. and it hurts. It, yeah. it hurts down to the bone. Like it yeah. just, and I would like really wrap myself up. I would self-medicate with like ibuprofen or Tylenol or something. And then for me, it would be a distraction. I would either talk on the phone with friends or I would play my video games. Mm. And that was really what I would do. And so my family after a while was thinking, oh, Lisa, you know, she just wants to sleep all the time. Mm -hmm. I was anemic. And part of being anemic is that you're tired. 
mm. all the time, no matter how many vitamins you take, no matter, you know, how much sugar intake you have, yeah. you're tired. Like yeah. you're literally, I just want to take a nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just want to lay down. Wow. I just, you know, and they didn't understand that. Um, and again, because no one was researching it. So yeah. it was hard as a teenager. Um, it was hard as an adolescent because instead of telling people I was in pain or telling people why I was sleepy, I just kind of masked it and just kind of got through it. It yeah. wasn't until I was living on my own and as an adult, and especially when I moved to Maryland, yeah. before I really understood all of that. And then in Spokane, I may have only been the only person in Spokane with the disease. Wow. So you have doctors who are not going out their way to research this one black yeah. girl with yep. this disease. You yeah. know, it'd be different if it was 500 black girls in Spokane that has this disease. Okay, we have 500 black girls who have this disease. Yeah. She's one, she's black. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't really she's not of importance yeah right now. yeah yeah and that's why i call it the invisible disease because i can sit here and look at you right now i can literally be in pain hmm. and and just kind of get through it and and that's a problem because now one there's already a stereotype that black people can endure pain more yeah that's already a horrible stereotype yes two you know, it is one of those things where you can't describe the pain because not everyone has sickle cell. So yep. you can't describe that pain. People who give birth, they yep. can describe those birth pains. Yep. People, you know, who broke a leg, they can describe that, you know, that feeling. Can't describe the sickle cell pain because not everybody has it. Yeah. So it, it's, it's hard and it's extremely hard when you're in a city like Spokane where you don't have anyone else who has the same disease that you have. Man, I have got to, we got to unpack this part here, okay, y'all? Because let me tell you, sometimes we look at our communities and we are, and I've been talking a lot about this a lot, which we're focusing a lot on services, but we're not focusing enough on culture and we don't understand the things that are impacting a group of people. And when we are not understanding what health disparities are impacting a group of people or could impact a group of people, we are very uh, naive or just we just don't have the knowledge of understanding how this actually impacts um, our community at large. Um, one of the things that I learned from our last podcast is that the sickle cell trait can be just as deadly as a sickle cell um, disease. Um, for those that have a sickle cell trait, you have to be careful on the elevations that you go. You have to be careful exactly with the cold, all of that stuff still. And sometimes people are experiencing symptoms and they don't even know the symptoms or they don't even know that they're having like a crisis or a possible crisis because we don't talk about it enough in our community. We're just like oh you have the trait you're fine oh she has the disease oh this is you know this this is normal you know just sometimes this happens and sometimes it doesn't we've got to do better at understanding what this looks like and how we can create support systems within our community and also bring the education to our local hospitals it shouldn't matter if one person has it 20 million people have it we should always have access to resources that impact people on a very serious level and when you're talking about 
how easy it was for you to go to another city, another state and get those resources versus the one that you grew up in and you lived in. There's a, like a question here, which is, um, are we doing everything we possibly can when it comes to dealing with health disparities that deal with certain ethnicities or different groups of people? Um, are Because we're not dealing with these different disparities within our different communities, are people not able to move here? And you had actually said that, which I thought that was like mind-blowing I didn't even think about that like can people even afford and physically mentally live here because if they live here and they don't have the right um pain crisis um treatment or um treatments in general or people that are knowledgeable about it you're really going to be putting yourself in a situation that could be deadly um and you could lose your life right so coming back to Spokane um I just like maybe two, three weeks ago, I went to my hematologist, first time going to a hematologist in two years. Wow. And so I go to the hematologist and um, he's like, why are you here? Like, mm. you're not going to get the care that you did in Maryland. Mm. Like, he was really honest about it. He's like, wow. I can, I can tell you your blood counts. I can do the fundamentals of looking at your hemoglobin and your blood mm -hmm. other than that i don't I, there's not the resources for you here and he was wow. completely honest with that i'm like wow. i'm born and raised in spokane i had a great job opportunity so i moved back and so i already knew the risk of moving back to spokane and i said i tell people all the time like oh here are the two things that prevent me actually three that prevent me from moving from spokane who's gonna do my hair <laughs> Who am I going to date and who's going to be my doctor? You know, these are real things that I got to consider about the three D's. You know, right. You know, right. I need to figure this out. Like, and this is, you know, for a black woman, who's yes. going to do my hair? Yes. Who's going to be my man and yes. who's going to be my doctor? You know, so I really needed to heavy, heavy consideration um, mm -hmm. with moving back here. Yeah. Luckily, Seattle has a, a sickle cell clinic. It's awesome. housed in the Seattle Cancer Care Unit. Um, if I'm being completely transparent, to me, it's not a good resource. Mm. Um, and I say that because it's housed in the cancer unit, so the cancer patients get more precedence which yeah. i'm not trying to negate a cancer right. patient right but the reality is it's in a cancer you know facility yes. so yes. the cancer patients are essentially more important yeah so it's like oh she just has sickle cell you know like it's yeah. like kind of brushed off, brushed off. it's brushed yeah. off yeah so whereas when i was in maryland at johns hopkins or at nih they literally have a sickle cell like team uh, that works only on sickle cell. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. the one in Seattle, they do have that, that where the team worked on sickle cell, but because it's a blood disorder, uh -huh. they can also work on just cancer patients and oncology patients that have other type of blood disorder. So they can kind of flip uh -huh. over. Flip yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas in, in in Maryland, and like I said, in those where it is, that is what they do. Sickle yeah. cell is all that they do. Yeah. 
So I, I could see the difference in care. I could see the difference in perception, mm-hmm. uh, bedside service, uh, mm-hmm. how they take care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is the procedures. Yeah. Everything is different. If I was, if I needed to go get a, a blood transfusion in Maryland, there's an infusion center mm-hmm. at Johns Hopkins and you literally go and it's all sickle cell patients. We mm-hmm. go, they have, they have, you know, graham crackers, ginger ale, fruit, whatever. So that, you know, you don't, have your low blood sugar and they give you everything they give you a blanket because they know you're cold you know you're anemic so they you know they they provide all of the stuff for you because that's their care in seattle they were sending me to the er to get a blood transfusion i was in the hallway of the er very last i was there i will i go in at two o'clock I don't leave until one o'clock in the morning because I wasn't considered life-threatening because it's just a blood transfusion. I'm starving because oh now goodness. no one's giving me like a snack. They're, they're, nothing's happening. And they're treating me like, oh, you're optional. You're just getting a blood transfusion. We'll get to you when we get to you. And I'm like, oh. this is the problem. This is a problem right here. They shouldn't, the procedure shouldn't be that if I'm getting a blood transfusion that I'm coming into the ER. And now my insurance is going to show that I went into the ER and I'm like, I didn't go to the emergency room. You guys don't have where I could just go into an infusion center or go to an Mm -hmm. office Mm -hmm. and get a blood transfusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this is really enlightening. Uh, And I hope you guys are listening to this because one of the things I always say, you never know who you're going to meet and how these stories will impact you and how you'll be able to share information and really understand it. And when you're talking about like bedside service and you're talking about treatment, you know, um, in our last podcast, we talked a lot about different types of treatments. And one of the things that was really was brought to head was like the type of treatments that are out there. Um, and uh, for Achilles, she was saying like, I do not want to take these type of drugs because they impact my fertility. They impact my ability to just be a career driven person. Um, what are some of the things that like impacted you like as you have been on your journey or things that you had to think about? Like, I'm not doing that because of this. This is not the right thing for me. And did you receive pushback from people when you chose to do um, some of the things that you felt were right for you in your right. situation? So it is, it's it's twofold. I'll answer both of those questions. So the first one was um, living in Maryland and, and the progression of the research on sickle cell, which I love that there's been progression on the research. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a drug, which is a cancer drug mm-hmm. called hydroxyurea. Yep, she and talked about that hydroxyurea um, is supposed to oxygenate it's supposed to pull your healthy red blood cells Mm -hmm. from your fetal hemoglobin Mm -hmm. i don't know what that means (laughs) i don't know where in my body we know we know we know right (laughs) when people ask they're like so what's that i don't know i just know that's what it does it's next to the hemoglobin next to the hemoglobin yeah (laughs) so it's somewhere in there the hemoglobin so apparently when you're pregnant and so you have to there's you know your fetus has Mm -hmm. like this fetal type of blood or whatever Mm -hmm. so that's where they pull the healthy red blood cell the drug the hydroxyurea pulls the drug extracts the blood the healthy blood from this fetal hemoglobin Mm -hmm. in your body Mm -hmm. so you're unable to get pregnant 
Because if you do, you're now going to have a birth defect because you're taking this drug that's taking the healthy blood from the fetus. It's because it's called fetal hemoglobin. Right. So you have to you have to get on some form of birth control if you're sexually active mm-hmm. and you're if you're taking this hydroxyurea. Mm-hmm. So at first I was like, one, I'm not taking it because it's a low dose chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take a low dose chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Two, I can't handle babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so now you got to think mm-hmm. of these things. And I'm like, well, what if I want to have children? Well, you'll have to come off the feet off the hydroxyurea for a minimum of six months. Wow. If I really want it to be out of my body, I need to yeah. come off of it for a year. Yeah. I don't care because I don't want to take this drug anyway. I'll come off of it for a year. But wow. it's changing my blood pattern. It's giving me more healthy blood cells. So it's 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 reducing my risk of crisis. Mm-hmm. So it's like, which, which is important. Wow. Crisis or a baby. And then also now it's like, I'm taking this low dose of chemotherapy. My mm-hmm. hair sheds like crazy, like Jeez. just shredding, just shredding. And it's just, it's, you're trying to psychologically not let it get to you. Right. You know? And you heard earlier, how who's going to do my hair? Right. <laughs> I, I like my hair. So yeah. to watch it just constantly shed and constantly shed. Yeah that you know it it plays it plays on you after a while and it it hurts Mm. um so i came off of it for a while because i was like i you know what i'm not gonna do it i just Mm -hmm. not gonna do it Mm -hmm. but then i got back on it because i could feel that i was like okay i can't breathe (laughs) i'm not getting enough red blood cells to my lungs um but then and this is the second part to your question advocating for myself because mm-hmm. now part of the protocol, they start you with the low dosage and then they move you up to a higher dosage mm-hmm. um, as your body is responding to the, the hydroxyurea. Mm-hmm. A normal person has a hemoglobin of 13. Like mm-hmm. that's the number, mm-hmm. the magic number. My hemoglobin was like at a six. Wow. They were like, and all my life, they're like, how are you living? How are you alive? I'm like the grace wow. of God, Jesus loves yeah. me. <laughs> grandma's prayers grandma's, grandma's prayers. prayers all grandma's my life prayers. i don't know how i've been living at six so they put me on this hydroxyurea and slowly they start start to see my numbers go up mm-hmm. but as my numbers go up i'm starting to get sick mm. and i'm like why do i still feel like crap but they're like oh my god your numbers are like at a 10 and 11 don't you feel great like as a matter of fact no i don't well, they don't tell you that as the, you get more of the healthy red blood cells, your white blood cells start to deplete. Wow. And that's your immune system. Oh. So now okay. I have what's called no neutrophils. And the neutrophils are your immune system that protects you from infections. Mm. So I'm sick and I'm telling them that I'm sick. And they're like, it's just your sickle cell. No, unless I unlocked a whole different level of sickle cell, this ain't sickle cell. I've been living with it for mm-hmm. 40 years. This is right. not sickle cell, what yeah. I'm feeling. Yeah. And they try to give me, you know, drugs. Here, take this, you know, drug and go home. And it's like, okay, I still don't feel good. Still mm-hmm. don't feel good. 
I go to the hospital and they like, okay, if she's here at the hospital, there's something wrong because I don't go to the hospital. Right. And they diagnosed me with having pneumonia. Keep in mind, I don't have a, I don't have a cough. I don't have fluid. I don't have anything that says I have pneumonia. Only thing that I had was excruciating pain on my side of my body. And I felt like a gorilla was sitting on my chest and my fever was at like 105. Mm. And they said, you have pneumonia, you have an abrasion in your lungs. And I said, okay. So they start me on the antibiotics to fight this infection Mm -hmm. and it wasn't working. It wasn't working. And I was in the hospital for six days trying to fight this infection, which they said was pneumonia. Uh-huh. They gave me a blood transfusion. They gave me all this stuff. I, my fever was still spiking. My body was not taking. The, uh, this abrasion was still in my lungs. Nothing was working. Wow. Six days. I was like, let me go home. I don't want to be in the hospital anymore. And it's Thanksgiving. I was in the hospital in Baltimore by myself on Thanksgiving. Six days. Uh-huh. I go home. Three weeks later. The pain is back. I literally can't breathe. I'm like, okay, Jesus, you you kept me alive for 40 some years. This must be the end. <laughs> this must be the end. Let me be able to call my daddy. Like, I just <laughs> like I need to be like I really I literally Stephanie, I, thought, it was the I end. thought this was the end. I go to the urgent care, mm-hmm. same thing. They thought I was drug seeking. They give me some drugs. I could tell them, like, I'm an NIH patient. They told wow. me I have, you know, pneumonia. They do the x-rays at urgent care. They're like, you don't have pneumonia. And I said, well, that's what they told me. They're like, you don't have pneumonia. They don't see that you have pneumonia. So now they think that I'm faking. I go, well, I'm a sickle cell patient. And so as soon as they heard sickle cell, they just gave me the drugs. Wow. They thought that I was drug seeking. And I'm like, I don't even like drugs. So come to find out, long story short, I know this is long, but- No, this is good. I had two, blood clots in my lungs what i have pulmonary embolisms so that was the pain that i was feeling and that's why i couldn't breathe because these two blood clots one in each lung had formed and it was causing pain from the from my back all the way up and it felt like a gorilla was on my chest and i could not breathe they don't typically do the test to test for blood clots on sickle cell patients because for some patients, because they use iodine so uh-huh. that they can see the blood cells and that iodine treatment or how they do it apparently can cause a crisis in sickle cell patients. What? So they didn't do that originally on me the first time I was in the hospital. Uh-huh. And so that's why they misdiagnosed me. They saw the abrasion and assumed it was pneumonia because Mm. I had a fever. Mm. But really it was because I had these pulmonary embolisms. So now I'm on blood thinners for the rest of my life. So Mm. now back to this hydroxyurea, in my mind, because they took me all the way to the top, my body's getting new blood in, never got before. Yeah. You're going to tell me you don't think that that's a correlation that this blood didn't say like, oh my God, we're getting blood from all over the place and these clots form? No, not at all. 
you also have me on birth control, a high estrogen birth control. Yep. That side effects are you can form blood Uh, blood clots. Which oh, no, quite, not at all. Quite frequently for Black women. So when I tell them this, they tell me no, that I'm wrong, that I'm crazy. That's not what it is. So I literally came off of hydroxyurea and I battle with it. So sometimes I'll go back on it because I can start to feel my body feeling like crap. And then I'll like, okay, I got to get back on it. The doctors say it's dangerous to keep getting on and off of drugs, any drug. Yeah, yeah. And I'm back on it as of today. I'm back on the hydroxyurea after being off of it for a year. Wow. Um, I'm back to the shedding of my hair, but now Mm -hmm. I'm on a low dose form of the hydroxyurea Mm -hmm. because I told them, I literally believe, and I'm really advocating that when you put me on the high dosage, my body gets out of whack. Yeah. And my and you 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 suspect you put me in risk of infection in the world of COVID mm-hmm. when my neutrophils are low that that are my immune system. Yes. So yes. I need to be on a low dosage of this hydroxyurea. Wow. So that's oh. where I'm at with it. Okay, y'all. I don't know about y'all, but like my mind is going like a million miles per hour because I'm like this story is so powerful and this is something that we talk about a lot like so many people are told you don't know what's going on with your body i will tell you what's going on with your body and the patient is not being listened to and i believe honestly i believe this is the way our healthcare system individuals are being trained. Um, We're always looking for somebody to be the drug addict or to seek uh, medicine or to stop. Like literally, I I was just telling Lisa, y'all, I have been in pain with my back um, because I had an epidural. And this is not to say this is the same, but let me tell you what I learned about this situation. When I was in pain, I was like, I just need something to stop my pain. Like, this is like, I can't function. I can't think. This is causing me to be very irritable. This is causing me to be very, you know, um, uh, just like moody and having all these these emotions. Um, I can't imagine that just being a part of my life and when you're telling somebody that you need something and they're not listening to you um and then you had to go to two different places like some people if they didn't understand how to advocate for themselves they would have just gone with that one that one person and just said hey well i'll just go here because i don't want to go to somewhere else um this is an important thing that you're talking about which is true advocacy like what gives you the bravery to just advocate for yourself and say no i'm not gonna stop if i don't feel something is right Right, right. It you know, we especially as black people, we put a lot of trust into doctors, but then we also don't. Yes, you know, because of yes. so much that has happened to blacks in America when it comes to doctors and them. You know, Tuskegee is the number one yes. thing that comes to our mind. Yes, um, but also we're also the the culture that once a doctor tells us something we run with it yeah oh i got diabetes girl don't like but you know we run with it (laughs) the doctor told me i got high blood pressure you know like we run with it so and we don't go with the second opinion we don't do the research we don't look into it we just take it and we run with it right or we don't go at all there's no really in the middle like hmm 
let me take this information let me research it let me listen to my body uh-huh. and really and let me question the doctors yes and it, there's this you're not supposed to question authority right are they the authority though mm. <laughs> are the doctors our authority mm. do they arrest us mm. do they you know do they pay our bills wow like, are they the authority yeah are they the experts that's also up to for debate because yeah. now i can't trust what you're telling me because now the opposite is happening yes to what you're telling me you're telling me i have pneumonia and i don't have any traditional signs of pneumonia you're going off of an x-ray that shows an abrasion but instead of you doing further research you just stop with she has pneumonia yeah and if i was someone who didn't advocate or if i if i didn't get sick again i would have been walking around saying oh i have pneumonia oh i have pneumonia and the crazy thing about this keep in mind this was november thanksgiving I had a plane ticket to fly home to Chris, to Spokane for Christmas. Mm. You can't fly with blood clots in your lungs. No, you cannot. So they were about to kill your girl because wow. had I not, and this is the grace of God, gotten sick again. Mm. And they had to go and do the whole iodine thing before they realized that I had blood clots. I was going, I went back into the hospital December 13th. Wow right before Christmas. Wow, Lisa, that's crazy. Because they told me I had pneumonia, but I was okay to, you know, here's your antibiotics that weren't working, (laughs) that weren't working, (laughs) but I had pulmonary embolisms and they almost put me on an airplane. I'm like, I'm like blown away by the story. But there's, this is like one of many, you guys. And I think that's the thing that we have to remember is that sometimes when we're not in other people's shoes and then we don't know their story and then you look at their situation, you're like, well, why didn't you do this? Or why are you doing that? Like, these are the stories that impact your next moves. These are the stories that impact how people connect and trust with the medical community um, instead of like really listening and like really asking ourselves, what are people saying and how do we really provide a peace of mind you know what i mean um and i'm so glad that you went to the second place because if you wouldn't have taken that step to do that and just said no i'm gonna actually dig into this a little bit deeper and i'm gonna get a second opinion um because a lot of people just don't get a second opinion um when you look at your your overall life um as a person who um has lived with sickle cell anemia um what are some of the challenges that you've had as an adult with people understanding like if you need to make adjustments or changes in the work environment has that been a thing for you um one of the we talked about this on kiwi's um podcast and i thought it was a really interesting link and they were like this is how this is actually impacted but i didn't I, we we spoke about the in place of employment and what employers need to know but we didn't talk about like dating life we didn't talk about um family life so like for you like where has sickle cell anemia like really impact or maybe it hasn't imp- impact any of those areas for you but um yeah well for work i never tell I, for the longest time i never told my employer that i had sickle cell mm. um because i would fight through it if i knew that i was having a crisis i would do whatever if i had to take all kind of advil throughout the day or whatever to go to work and get through it then that's what it was i just yeah. never wanted to have that conversation especially me being um 
a probably one of only black person in a workplace and having to explain what sickle cell is and them not knowing. So again, that whole, is she making this up? Mm-hmm. She doesn't look sick. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. mean, a blood disorder? You know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so I just never wanted to have those conversations. Yeah. So I never told them. Um, when I got to Maryland, I feel like there's a little bit more culture here. So people probably do know a little bit more about sickle cell. Yeah. And this is what I mean by it being a, an invisible disease because no one talks about it. No one knows about it mm-hmm. or they don't know what sickle cell looks like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, oh, we know what an AIDS patient looks like. Oh, we know with someone mm-hmm. that has diabetes, they're typically overweight. You know, like there's a look to mm-hmm. a sickness. You know, someone who has, you know, alopecia, you know, they don't have hair. Someone who yeah. has, like, there's a look to certain sicknesses. Mm-hmm. So when you have sickle cell, there's not really a look, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of was like, I'm not telling people that I have sickle cell. Yeah. Um, when I worked in environments where I had black supervisors or black, you know, coworkers, I definitely told them. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. or if I said, I don't feel good today, they were like, Lisa don't feel good today. She has yeah. she's she's checked out. So yeah. that was a little bit better. My personal life, when I was dating my longtime boyfriend, he had the sickle cell trait. Mm. And I, of course, have the disease. So I was like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. So I have to always make the decision, do I want to stay in this relationship? And you really kind of don't. Hmm. help falling in love with someone yeah and as our relationship started to grow it's really talking about what we're going to do if we decide that we want to have kids together yeah you know and for some men they don't want to have that conversation Hmm. because especially in your your late 20s early 30s yeah and you're not married guys are like oh, you got pregnant oh god you know they yeah. don't want to deal with it you know especially if you're not married yeah um so having that real conversation up front he was understanding because he had the trait but he also said my mom always told me that i couldn't date a girl who had sickle cell trait or had sickle cell disease mm. But now I was like, no, now what you gonna do? Cause you love me. Right, what you gonna do now? What you gonna do? You know, but luckily now advancements, there's always, you know, having a surrogate, there's always, you know, having donors. Yes. We looked at those alternatives, but then of course, you know, our relationship didn't, you know, continue. And now I'm over older age, I pretty much was like, I guess I'm not having kids. And that's the hardest part of it all because I thought I was going to be a mother at some point. Mm-hmm. And then I, of all the men of the world, I decided to date somebody who has a sickle cell trait, mm-hmm. you know? And it really prolonged, you know, and it also stopped me from, you know, like I just, I, I was on, birth control longer yeah um, until we figured out what we were going to do like all this stuff so it really impaired my personal life right and it's hard to talk about that because people are like well why don't you have kids and it's like Mm. I don't want to talk about this with you you know I just don't you know um 
and and I feel like people are so insensitive and it, society says that a woman of a certain age should have kids or if a woman mm-hmm. doesn't have mm-hmm. kids at this age, mm-hmm. there's something wrong with her, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all these things. And it's like, you don't know what that woman's going through. No. Uh, why no. she, you know, you don't know if she's had miscarriages. You don't know if she has a medical condition. You don't know what the situation is. Yes. Especially in the black community. We're so yes. hard on each other. Yes. so hard on each other yes and it's so interesting because you spend half of your life hearing people say don't have kids before you get married don't be a teen mom don't do this right don't have kids and then when you get to you know a place where you're like okay this could possibly be a thing and then you realize that there's different challenges different roads different things you have to think about you know we don't think about those things we don't think we don't even have those conversations so i'm gonna put this out here i'm putting a plug in for lisa because she didn't tell you all this but she's a writer okay and she wrote this amazing like blog about exactly what we're talking about and you should definitely check it out because it really gives some clarity in how we are talking to one another and how we're thinking about people in life and how people should live their life you know even though some of us where we feel like we're very progressive and we um, have these experiences that make up our ideas, like we still can get caught up in having some of the same language and having the same conversations that we said we went are gonna have, you know? So um, I would really, I think you should definitely do a plug for your blog if you like, if you want. Um, I can cut this part out if you want me to, but if you want to, lean in, girl. <laughs> um, so my blog is maliciaqueen.blogspot. Um, I believe <laughs> it's because no it's, on, it's on um, it's on Blogger, um, and that's in it's a platform that I've used since 2011. I've never yes. switched over to WordPress or any of the other platforms, uh-huh. um, and I've just used the same thing. Um, so that's why I'm always hesitant on is it Blogspot or Blogger, <laughs> you know? But I could definitely um, drop the link to you yeah. um, to to add. But yes, I I am a writer and I do write about having sickle cell and I do write about um, the emotional toll it takes on not having children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a soft spot, you know. I'm a, I'm a black woman in my mid forties who doesn't have children and people you know of course they're they're curious they want to know why you know um and i still have to you know emotionally deal with that um as i see women that are my age that are starting to become grandmothers you know um and the joy that they have on being a grandmother being a nana you know being a yaya you know they are experiencing such joy and it's, and I think this is another thing I hate about our community. Mm-hmm. If you don't exude that immediate joy, oh, you're a hater. You're hating mm-hmm. on me. Mm-hmm. No, it's not that I'm hating. I'm happy yeah. that you're a grandmother or that you're yep. a mother. I'm in sorrow for myself. Yeah. Yep. And that yep. sorrow is not allowing me to show immediate joy exactly it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me yep. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's not that i'm hating it's that i'm sad for myself that i have had to live this life yes yep you know and um and then also life expectancy yeah when, when i was 15 i was told my my life expectancy is 55. 
Wow. So now it, I think, and I'm a Virgo, I'm constantly overthinking. I'm Virgo too. So <laughs> you tell me at 15 that my life expectancy is 55 when I get 45? Uh, uh, Do I want to write this book? Do I want to get into a relationship? Do I want to really have kids? Do I really want, you know, because I've been told all my life that I'm going to die. Yeah. At 55. And 55 is young. Yes. Yes. Now, yes. as I got older, I've seen people who have sickle cell that have lived to be 80, 85 years old. So I'm like, there's hope. Yeah. But there's no guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. So it changes a lot of what you have to think about and what you have to process mentally and emotionally when you're dealing with a disease that has a very little certainty hmm. oh my goodness like first of all thank you for sharing that because that i know i could tell by you just like that was a lot to like release and talk about and for our listeners like i hope like that really resonates with somebody that really needs to hear that um that's why we want to like share our experiences and i always tell people there's a lot of experiences that may be the same but they can never be relate they're they're on different levels they're different they're different uh tiers and being able to share your story in a way that somebody else can connect with it it is so powerful lisa like i'm i'm glad that you shared that and in our in our recent part past podcasts, we've talked about how infertility impacted different people and how they saw different things. And, you know, I'm very transparent. I dealt with infertility for over seven years. I just had my first child live birth. And exactly what you said is exactly the way I was feeling a lot. And a lot of people share that same feeling, but you just hit something that I don't think anybody has ever talked about. Um, and it adds an extra layer for us to think about as humans, as people, as a community, and really as women changing that conversation and really normalizing these different experiences and learning how to um, embrace one another with whatever journey we're on. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. I do have to also say that um, I love and have near to my heart the parents of sickle cell patients mm. because to watch mothers who cannot do anything and just cry over their children who yeah. are going through sickle cell crisis, that's a lot for a mother to bear. Mm -hmm. If they have to see their child in pain and yes. there's nothing that they can do. Yes. You know, like I said, my grandmother was by my side praying and crying and, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that they can do. Mm -hmm. And so it's being able to have this watchful eye. It's being very cognizant of where your child is at all times, all times. what they're eating, who they're around, what the weather's going to be like, what are they wearing? I mean, moms think about all that stuff anyway. Yeah. But now yeah. with a child with sickle cell, and then when that child is hospitalized and you now have doctors telling you about your child mm. and you don't you do you question it do you take it do you do you say you know okay baby the doctor said you have this and then how that conversation goes 
there's a lot, especially single moms that are dealing with a child. Uh, yeah. 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 It's a lot. My, um, my, one of my cousins has a sickle cell. His mom was a single mom. And she was like, I can't even keep a job. I remember her calling my mom crying. Like I can't even keep a job because my child keeps having crises and that my child needs me, you know? And, you know, you hear people talk about like, sometimes it causes like resentment and frustration. And then you're this sorrow and this, you're feeling all so many, so many different emotions. And again, it's like, do you, do our communities really have like the support systems for people to really go through that? You know, um, whether it be the person going through the crisis or the person watching the person going through the crisis, it's a lot. Um, and we really have to ask ourselves in this community specifically, like, how are we dealing with health disparities that are impacting the Black community and other brown and Black communities? Um, and are we really invested in putting in support systems to help people from every single angle and every single um, place? Because it, it, this is this is a difficult conversation um, that I've been definitely highlighting quite a bit, but we need to have the conversation. We need to know more about what are some of these health disparities that are impacting Black people and um, some of our um, our other sisters and brothers that are out there that have the same type of disease. And so, man, okay, Lisa, so we talked about this a little bit last time when we talked. We talked a little bit about what can we do in our community and we talked about early intervention. Um, share your thoughts about early intervention and what you know or what, what you think we could do as a community. Well, as a community, what happens is we don't talk about sickle cell or the, the trait. And people are always like, oh, I know someone who has the trait. Oh, I know someone who has the disease. But we don't think about the prevention of yeah. the disease. And it really, to be honest, sickle cell shouldn't be the way it is right now because mm -hmm. Genetic testing. If hmm. we were getting genetic testing when our babies are born, we should be able to know what is going on with our baby. Don't wait until wow. the baby's sick, like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Get that genetic testing early mm -hmm. so then that you know what your baby has and you know what your baby's dealing with. So then now when that child becomes an adult, they know, mm -hmm. oh, I have sickle cell trait. So mm -hmm. I can't date someone. And if I do date someone, this is what we need to do. We need to look yes. at alternatives. But I think that genetic testing among Black people, especially Black people, it's going to tell all of our kind of genetic composition. It's yes. going to talk about if you have diabetes, if you're prone to hypertension, do are you prone to have sick, do you have the sickle cell trait? Are you mm. prone to anything else? So you know that from an early Age. age and now if we know this we can actually be proactive going further as we continue to multiply yes. <laughs> you know and it's it, the problem is we're not getting that simple genetic testing and it's because the hospitals and the doctors are not telling you mm. that you can get the genetic testing wow and so tell them and ask them I'm pregnant. I need to know what my baby is going to have. Like, can I get yeah. genetic testing done? Yeah. You know, so that you know your family's history, even by just getting a simple test, it will be able to like, oh, your baby is going to be prone for hypertension or, you know, yeah. or diabetes or, you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Genetic testing is so crucial. It is. And I want to say this for those that are listening, like this is not talking about 
the testing that you get when you're trying to figure out if your if your child is going to have like down syndrome or if they have any of those things right because i talk about that before that's how we found out julia had cpam and um which is like cysts on her lungs you're talking about like let's get your health history let's look at your health history and actually be prepared for that and then set you up for success um i haven't heard that conversation at all um i think this is on point and it's something that needs to be discussed more because we're missing a whole conversation about what can we do to provide early intervention and have really deep and serious conversations about how can we close the health disparities within the Black community when especially it's talking about sickle cell disease and sickle cell anemia. Especially if you're in a place where you, there are little to no Black community. Yes. They're not going to advocate for you. No. So no. you have to advocate for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, they're not going to look out for you in your particular disease that plagues your culture. Mm -hmm. So you have to do that. You know, yeah. um, I'm sorry and being completely transparent, but I don't see a lot of white people who are advocating for sickle cell research in testing. No. <laughs> no. So we have to take that ownership to do that ourselves. Um, and that's why I've always called it an invisible disease, because mm. if this was a disease that plagued more than just black people, mm -hmm. oh, there'd be research dollars everywhere. There would be everywhere. It wouldn't be a, it, it wouldn't be nothing to walk into a hospital and say, I have sickle cell. Oh, well, we know exactly what to do. Here we go. Right. Now it's, I walk into a hospital, they're like, oh, she has sickle cell. Um, I guess we do this, you know, because there's not that, but we have to advocate for ourselves we have to get our own testing because they're not going to do it they're wow. just not wow um that's really deep like when when you're talking about this and you're sharing these these real these real golden nuggets about what can we do locally and implement in our hospital i think that's an easy that's an easy win that is an easy thing and it prepares us for what we need to do in the future. There's a lot of times we are like, we are not prepared for things. And when we're not prepared for things, like it may, it, it causes all these other things. We just, I mean, COVID, hate to bring it up. If that's a prime example, like our healthcare system was already in like a, a broken spot and it just broke even more. So let's actually be proactive and provide early intervention um, and really figure out what can we do to help our community in a different way and educate our community in a different way so that employers and educators and, and people just know more about how we can support people with these invisible diseases. Right, right. And, and people just have to, you know, the basics. I'm not saying that anyone has to be a, a scholar of sickle cell, yeah. but just the basics that, you know, people that have sickle cell, we don't necessarily have a look to us, you know, mm -hmm. um, if someone is completely tired, just look at the basics of anemia. A lot yeah. of people suffer from just gen general anemia. Yeah. So compound sickle cell on top of that anemia. Mm -hmm. And that is going to, you know, heighten you know their fatigue and and, yeah. and the ability to really participate or do things we're gonna act like we can and that we, we're one of the you know we can do it but right. really it, there is this kind of we got to be cautious about you know over exertion but yeah. um i think that it's just basic education and knowing i mean we most of us are are it should know cpr or how to do the mm -hmm. heimlich 
Mm-hmm. Be able to know when someone has sickle cell. When I moved to the East Coast, I had friends who say, the whites of your eyes are yellow. That means you're mm-hmm. not taking your iron. Hold on, let me go get her some <laughs> iron pills. Let right. me go get her some broccoli and some peas right. and some beans. Right. And you, Have you ate a salad today? Right. Simple things like that, because that's one of the telltale signs is, you know, the yellowing of the eyes, the yeah. very sluggish, the very slow, mm-hmm. because the, it's the anemia. So mm-hmm. being able to see that and recognize that in your, in your friends or family, simple things like that, you know, go a long way. Mm, this is so good. I, I can't wait for us to talk about the next question I have. So let's jump into it. Okay. Um, Lisa, what, what word of inspiration do you have for people as they're listening to this? It's a heavy conversation, but what, what word of inspiration do you have for a person who is going through, you know, maybe sickle cell anemia, or they're just going through something very different within their body and mind, soul, spirit, or maybe you don't have something that really fits that. You have something that you want to say that's different. That's okay. Um, What was that? What's that last word you want us to hear? Trust yourself. Mm. I think that too many times we second guess. Um, We sometimes allow um, external factors dictate what we should and should not do and we don't listen to our gut we don't listen to you know what's really telling us um again i'm an overthinker so sometimes i think myself in just to all types of different scenarios and i forget to listen to my gut um and so you just have to trust yourself because people will judge you they will tell you their unsolicited opinions they will tell you the wrong diagnosis they will tell you Go with what is in yourself, your soul, your heart, your gut. Trust yourself first and foremost, you know, and 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 if you are a spiritual person, trust God. Trust, you know, if you really believe in God and the power of God, it, you trust him and you let his will be done, you know, um, even if it's something that you didn't want. <laughs> God, I didn't want to not have babies, but I yeah. have to trust him that he made this path for me for a reason. So just, you know, trust yourself is, is the biggest thing that I can tell anyone in any situation to trust yourself. That's so good. That, that, that word of inspiration, I hope that it touches your mind, your body, your soul, you guys. You know my word. I always tell people, do not send somebody some roses or some chocolates. Send them a podcast. Send them something that can be their mind, body, soul, and spirit. Make them look at the world differently. Uplift them. Keep them in the know and bring that knowledge to them so that they can feel empowered. Lisa, I want to thank you so much for being here. And I hope this is not the last time we connect and do some more stuff together. We, we had to do some more stuff. I am so glad we're having this conversation and you just being super transparent. Like, you guys, this is our time to really end and drop a deep conversation that we haven't had before to help us understand what we're doing and what decisions are we making that impact people that we have never met or we've never seen, but they're in our community. Um, I want to thank you so much again, Lisa, for coming by. You guys, don't worry if you are looking for Lisa's blog and all her information. It will be right down below of this podcast. So do not worry about it. 
at all. I want to thank you so much for listening. Lisa, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you for having me. Until next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you.